0: And welcome to episode 9 of our podcast show Get Wise, a show dedicated to discussing emerging trends in the cybersecurity and legal landscape and providing unique industry insights. Today, we are delighted to welcome on this show Sonia Lim, entrepreneur, consultant, and the founder of the Young Lawyers and Diplomats Society Asia Pacific, an organization focused on providing policy advice on pressing issues across the Asia-Pacific and fostering corporate partnerships to strengthen professional networks and boost employment opportunities for young lawyers and diplomats. Sonia, welcome to the Weiss Law offices and thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule today. Uh,
1: thank you John and Weiss Law for the time and giving me the opportunity to share my thoughts.
0: Mm all right to open up could you help explain to our audience what the young lawyers and diplomat society is about its origins values and vision for international relations in the asia pacific
1: okay so uh so i'll draw a little bit back about the the origins to really explain how it takes shape into this society so when I look back during my university years and the sort of the projects that I've always involved in, there's like a consistent theme which is to uh, provide professional networks for uh, people who are within the society um, especially employment opportunities. So I wanted to sort of, after I graduated and I'm working as you know, in business now like I wanted to keep that going as sort of a like a supporting network or a hobby, sort of like a a really out of passion and interest. And so that comes, uh, sort of uh, determines the second underlying uh, aim of the society, really is to help young professionals, um, especially like you look at women, like especially from Asia, like Asia Pacific, which is still relatively conservative to say, uh, societies and communities in America, in the West, uh, where women are free to choose whatever they want to do. But in more like in the Eastern side of the the world, I guess, we're sort of uh, bogged down by a very traditional value is that women, you know, like a lot of women in my community are told you, know, you don't have to be just too smart because when it time one time when it's time you just get married and just forget your dreams and start raising the next generation of children and it's sort of that core idea has driven me to found societies like this and i have founded other societies before um the same around the same concept um so yes very really want to push more women to uh, talk about policies and areas that are usually just uh dominated by men so if you look at the society the first underlying aim the main foundation is to provide policy advice and we don't just want to be or i hope the society if it grows in the future right i don't want it to be just restricted to um the soft stuff like social or i mean it's very very important like cultural social um everything very important but then really want to tackle you know like rigorous discussions on topics that are not very very um uh, talked about the the elephant in the room you know um, for example one of the uh, some of the articles that we've um, published cybersecurity, or even looking at nuclear security i think i think it's important it's better to talk about and discuss on um, challenging issues, because that is only going to help other, you know, readers and the audience, whoever's interested, to get the best solutions to help their own respective governments and organizations, could be teachers, academia, or students writing the thesis next year, or, you know, whoever's Mm -hmm. interested but really it's just for, so it's really for people who already have knowledge in the area. So it's not mm. meant for outsiders who are just looking to commercialize the material or use the material and copycat, like your it's really not meant for that. It's really meant to provide like sound advice mm. and practical advice. So it's not so theoretical in, in mm. that sense. And uh, so that's a concept, if mm. that makes sense. And the vision of course, like the societies that i've founded before um i mean the what the societies societies that i've led before usually it, it used to be just confined to one geographical location so it, it used to be when I was in america it was just um you know one place and later i'm like no um i've done quite you know asian-based uh, uh, when i was in, in in the states it was more like oh student recruitment in the um, for the for, for students coming from the ASEAN and whatnot, so um, I don't want to confine it to one geographical location anymore. So then, mm. it's gonna be like Asia Pacific this time because okay. it's so many groups. Like starting from five people to I've led groups which are like up to 525 and more. So. Mm. Um, didn't want to just you know because it doesn't make any sense anymore I'm just tired of it um, after doing it for what mm. now seven years so yes it's gonna be a network now and definitely corporate focus because corporate focus in terms of the legal side of things it's not the diplomacy policy mm. side of things because I find the private se- private sector to be very crucial when driving then um, determining like the economics within the region which then influences the policies in many ways especially Asia mm. right which is very um, uh, economic focus sure Let me look so, at China everything we're two, gonna have yeah. we we expect speakers to come in in the future and uh, contribute to these to this discussion so that's sort of the crust of the society
0: yeah. okay so tied to this And given that the society's focus is primarily within the Asia-Pacific, I imagine you've heard of the concept of the Asian century, a term referring to the projected 21st century dominance of Asian politics and culture based on projected demographic and economic trends. Do you perceive this statement to be true? In what ways will the Asia-Pacific overtake the traditional powers of the West, such as Europe and the United States?
1: Um... I have mixed feelings. Uh, I wouldn't say true or false with regard to that to that statement, because um, if you look at traditional Western powers, they've already had a huge influence in the Asia-Pacific region for so long. Um, I mean, even if you look at the individual level, like people like me, right? We actually, we speak English or American English better than I do in my native languages. So uh, that shows a lot. And also the legal system is uh, very much influenced by the West, um, the media, social media. So there's still a lot of influence from the West. And to change that, and for, for Asian countries, like the Asian giants, when you look at China, Japan, and so forth, to really take over that, if you have to use that term, uh, that is gonna be quite um uh, tricky i wouldn't i wouldn't even use the word take over yet because it's i think it's too early of a stage to say mm. although the rise of China with the economics and everything is um growing very fast although there's some economic downturn re- recently but it's still growing you know um, in, especially in the tech industry investments and in, All that. And if you look at China, uh, the other thing, yes, like the talents in STEM, it's growing. Scientific research is taking over the Western universities. So you could see these sort of precursors. Can Asia take over? Hmm. Well, I I think we still have to look at that. But having said that, uh, I think the Western countries need to also think about how they're going to maintain that influence. Okay, um, But I think we're coming to a turning point where we have to start thinking about, is growth the only factor you know, um, that should define the future of a region? Because you've also seen other trends like climate change and everything where a lot of experts are arguing like growth is no longer the only indicator of uh, a prosperous economy. Um, mm-hmm. Otherwise, you're gonna see the planet drown and that doesn't actually work in the long run. So okay. sustainability and all that. Um, I guess Asian economies, which are very much based on an economic first concept, that is sort of, I, I see that sort of taking the, uh, the lead now um, in, Asia, in, in Asia Pacific, but are the people going to accept that? What are the implications? I think it's a turning point where people are mm. going to talk about that.
0: Okay. So just to approach this from say a different perspective, what key industries do you imagine that Asian nations are set to overtake the West in over the following decade? I did notice you mentioned a bit about cybersecurity and nuclear energy. Uh
1: following decade. Hmm. Uh, like I said, China is growing um, it, it, it's 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 already investing in what 5G and all the technological advancements I mean if you look at 10 15 years ago right we've only really heard about Google and Apple now there's Huawei um, and many other um, tech giants Oh, Alibaba you know it's no longer Amazon only now that is growing hmm. so uh, uh, it's tough. And with technology, of course, comes the uh, comes cybersecurity because you can't just grow technology and e-commerce without securing your database. Otherwise, that's just giving, mm. you know, uh, you know, the opportunity for a leakage that's going to cost billions and millions of dollars to whichever country that's competing. So mm. is it going to take over? Like I said, I'm not really comfortable with using the takeover because it's too early, but, um, yeah, they're all competing. So you yeah. also have to look at it's not just economics or the tech giant per se, but I think talent and research is also the next thing. Because you look at America, their um, the STEM results of the high school results or uh, of the sort is not as strong as the Asian economies. So that that needs to catch up, I think. Um, but yes, still too early to say. Mm. Um, but cybersecurity tech giants still gonna increase and nuclear energy um i would rather refrain from commenting too much on that yet because i'm still looking at it
0: mm. all right yeah. so perhaps do you s- perceive any notable differences in cybersecurity and internet governance between the east and west if so what are they and why do they exist
1: yes <laughs> um, i just see a lot of uh, differences Um, First of all, I think it's important to note that cybersecurity and tech and all these, right, it's relatively quite a new thing that's been applied to uh, businesses, especially if you look at Asia, the East, right, uh, where a lot of economies are still uh, very manual, right, and they're just recently and only recently hopping onto the Internet and going e-commerce. And um, that already um, says a lot about... Um, a lot of the work needs to be done in terms of governance structure, policy framework, and so forth. Left alone the governments, respective governments in, this, in, in, in these countries, um, whether they will accept it as a serious priority or not, that's another thing. That's up to the governments. Um, but the notable difference, I think, comes from the very basic, the cultural thing, because in the West, Right. relatively speaking, you've had sort of a lot of independence between the public and the private sector. You have China in the 1980s, since 1980s, you see sort of an independence from um, like just based on uh, friends and networks sort of business and more to a uh, fast growth uh, corporate structure direction. But uh, when you look at ASEAN countries, um, that's still a big struggle. Because a lot of the money does not really come from all that oh which government's going to provide funding and which you know it's still like a new thing in emerging developing countries especially in the ASEAN um, a lot of it is still based on networks and who you know and uh, family businesses sort of uh, trust-based approach <laughs> so to order to, in order to um go in that direction for like security and really run it like a corporate-based model i think it's gonna need a lot of like customized way of things it cannot be totally um adopted from the western way of doing things because it's just so so different like the way it started it's just even the level of education of cybersecurity, even the you know the capacity and and there are really no experts or talent yet, I'm not Mm. seeing a lot, a lot of them are still very focused on the IT and the fact that, oh, everything is just, uh, only IT professionals need to know about it and nobody else needs to know about it and still a lot of work to do. So Mm. the framework, everything, yeah, it needs to be a lot of customized, it needs to be people from these ASEAN countries talking about it and, uh, of course, uh, implementing elements from the West, uh, more advanced cybersecurity economies. But
0: yeah, has to uh, work from their own point of view, but very different. Sure. So, cybersecurity has indeed become an increasingly relevant issue given its wide reach across a number of critical infrastructure areas, including healthcare, finance, and space. So, indeed, spending on cybersecurity across ASEAN, from what I recall, has increased about 15% per annum over the past several years. Mm-hmm. Who do you see as the major players and leaders in cybersecurity across the Asia-Pacific? What are their strengths and weaknesses in cyber?
1: Um, the major players and leaders would uh, definitely be the ones who have, number one, the resources, number two, the uh, talent, the experts, and number three, the tech infrastructure. Like it has to be robust enough to really take on these resources and the talent and bring it to the next level to prevent, to implement policies and everything um, and respond, uh, prevent and mitigate the risks of a potential cyber attack. Mm. And um, so when I look at, I'm looking at China, I'm looking at Singapore, uh, Asia Pacific, Singapore, Japan, and China because I think these three countries have mm. those elements. Um, but then uh, when you look at the rest of the countries, uh, that that's still a lot of work to do from the very basic education. There's like the, the communities that I'm dealing with or talking to, they're still questioning, oh, is it really mm. an important thing to invest or talk about Cyprus? Mm. Yes, it is. but. Um, you know, while these countries are still talking about or questioning whether this is important or not, advanced countries like China, Japan, and Singapore are already like, okay, we're gonna go with it. So, I think also because of that, these three major economies that have the most potential in all those elements are gonna sort of define the balance of power in cyberspace. So then, the weakness of that is, is it going to uh, sort of spark hostility within the region? Is it going to affect diplomacy in terms of like the traditional way of diplomacy, foreign relations? Uh, what, what, is, what are the neighbors going to think about this? You know, and, mm-hmm. and cyberspace is a new thing, right? It's not, it didn't exist like 10 years. We didn't talk about this as much 10 years ago and, and until now when everyone's going e-commerce, and, even diplomacy and all these communicative networks online Mm -hmm. so it's and, and and you know look at when you look at singapore in the ASEAN region specifically um even with amidst the recent cyber attacks like it responds pretty fast but it also shows that even in an advanced country in the region in the most advanced country in the region singapore it's still it implies that it still struggles in terms of, you know, uh, investing enough or enough resources and talent to prevent a cyber tech. Because in the, the, this ASEAN community, what I'm seeing is that there, it's so resistant. They're like, oh yeah, cyber threat is a huge thing, but should we put money in it? You know, it, it shows that sort of sentiment. Um, and I'm seeing that uh, a lot. Mm. So, yes. Sure.
0: Hmm. Okay, So connected to this, a recent article outlined burgeoning opportunities for the cybersecurity sector in Southeast Asia with a potential $7.2 billion cybersecurity market opportunity for just Australia alone within ASEAN. Which ASEAN members would you outline as having the greatest potential for future growth and investment in cybersecurity and why? Uh, looking at investment
1: um, and growth, well, the nature of investment in general, I just want to point out is that, you know, you put a dollar in and you want to invest when you're putting a dollar in a country or a, a, an organization, you want to make sure that you get as much as possible, right? The closest returns to it or more. Um, and if you're going to expect that kind of like strictly financial investment, investment in and out like return looking at ASEAN, Singapore has the infrastructure, it has the talent, and it has everything that will, um, I guess, makes it a very sort of strong capacity to bring that back for whoever wants to invest. But if you look at, if you're thinking about not so much investment, but you're looking at potential growth areas, like if you look at Vietnam, right, um, it's not necessarily as much like like singapore is very much information communications but you look at vietnam which is like the next sort of like relatively growing economy they're strong uh, they're getting stronger in manufacturing and all that um depending on how the investor looks at the prospects and how relative the investors think um cyber like how relevant it is to manufacturing all that um Yeah, they need to assess the whole thing, because if you're gonna just invest in uh, other countries that are not as advanced in the ASEAN region, um, it's gonna be a struggle because maybe it's growing, but the returns, that's a little bit iffy because uh, you have to go back to the basics. You have to spend time teaching people about why it's important. And you have to go from the very basics, left alone. you, You might be resisted from the community or questions and all that and if well, you're I guess just it's looking for, it's that
0: question of whether you would like to be a big fish in a small pond or a small right. fish in a big
1: pond. yeah yeah but then like if you're just strictly talking about numbers and uh, putting in money and getting it back or more then you wouldn't want to look at that but unless you're looking for aid you're just um, you know putting funds and you just really want to put into education and that okay then that's another question but if you're looking just business business wise you wouldn't
0: want to invest in that, just saying. Yeah. Okay. So, along with exponential opportunities for economic development and prosperity arising from an increasing reliance on technology, including smart cities, AR, big data, there has been a rise in crippling cybersecurity incidents such as ransomware and data breaches across the region. Indeed, one recent report stated that a single software virus infecting 15 ports across five Asian markets, including Singapore, Japan, and China, could potentially result in losses totaling $110 billion. In this increasingly hostile cybersecurity cyber security environment, what steps can and should government take to boost their national cybersecurity posture?
1: Um, that is, uh, okay, I think... You know the standard framework is yeah you train your staff you raise awareness campaigns you make sure you have enough experts actual cybersecurity experts and you know you make sure there's a strong cybersecurity culture at organizations public and private and you make sure that people understand it's prevention basis rather than cure that you have strong governance structures and all, all all that right that's like the standard sort of like any person in cybersecurity risk mitigation team understands that. Um, But when you're looking at countries, I think uh, the first thing is that there has to be independence between the governments. Like I was saying, like you're looking at Asia, which is very much based on the familial networks and all these who, you know, it needs to change towards a more independent structure where it's driven by private privatization liberalization and more uh, fair competition sort of community like so
0: free markets rather than a controlled yeah, free market, economy yes.
1: Yeah, yeah yeah so that um, it's easier to do it because what I'm seeing is that you know one potential reason why the Asian economies might be um, losing a lot is that you know you have when you look at an organization Right, Typically, it's just you know the the person or a family person is in it. And there's a cyber attack. What happens? You have to wait for that person to respond to the cyber attack or prevent or let alone give the financial resources to tackle that cyber attack. That's a waste of time. And you're already losing millions, right? Um, but when you look at more open economies like the United States, um, they've already had this... And even so, they still go through all these cyber attacks on a daily basis. So you can only imagine how much the Asian economy is going to lose even more if they're going to keep on depending on, you know, oh, yeah, she's my brother. Uh, He's my brother. She's my daughter he's my ba- uh, father, whatever, and, and just based on that and still keep on going that like, it's not gonna work. Hmm. You're still gonna lose millions compared to say, okay, Hong Kong has a very advanced cybersecurity culture, right, so if a country and they ask, is still worrying about like, oh, who, who am I gonna give money to? Oh, I only trust this person, the family or whatever. And Hong Kong's going like, you know, the, the, the biggest corporations there like property, real estate, all that they're all like already driven by whoever's capable and in, in, in the business and mm-hmm. already running with it and really implementing absorbing these strong cultures
0: so you're saying
1: get the most returns yeah. so to introduce yeah, really- a more
0: strengthened policy framework which would yeah. help cut back on corruption on nepotism yes. on
1: corruption and all that um, and cronyism favoritism, within, yeah. favoritism which is what i see a lot in the asean and you know what you can still do it but you're just going to lose millions in the long run mm. you know so anyway my thoughts on it
0: okay and finally if you had the power and the opportunity what would you do to advance security and prosperity in the asia pacific
1: step, open up dialogues because I think what I'm seeing is, uh, you know, the big Asian giants, China, uh, Japan and Singapore, they're, they're just like, okay, we're going to put in money in this. We're going to make sure we're going to be secure, national security interests, um, make sure our private organizations are protected, data protection, but like you need to talk, you know, otherwise it's just going to bring up hostility, and then what What happens? There's going to be an arms race, and we know by history, we don't want another Cold War that is, well, arguably perhaps it's beginning, or what you know, I mean, experts are saying, some experts are saying it's already there, it's happening just on the cyber platform. Mm-hmm. It's just going to lead to an arms race where people are not talking, and then you have Trump, who's influencing all these things, and he's just doing whatever he wants, and so unpredictable, nobody has trust anymore. So... You need to start talking and make sure that the economies that you're working with have the same values and ethical principles so that nobody's breaching anyone's contracts and agreements because you know if you're just gonna deal with economies or respective party members who are not consistent with your values you're just gonna lose a lot of uh, security breaches yes and also on the economic side, I'm afraid. Mm. So, yeah. so you're
0: thinking more like talk, trust, and cooperate in that sense?
1: Cooperation, collaborative approach, well the United Nations has always been on that but I'm not sure how effective it is now with Trump, so mm. we have, I mean the world leader is trying to, is not really, you know, following all the rules, uh, so who else is going to want to? So hopefully that doesn't go worse. Uh, but anyway, okay. so that's just what I think, for sure sustainability thing. of the economies in Asia-Pacific.
0: All right. Uh, awesome. Well, thank you again, Sonia, for your in- unique insights into the current state of the geopolitics and cybersecurity across the Asia-Pacific. We look forward to expanding on these topics with you again in the future.
1: Okay. Thank you very much for your time.
0: No worries. And for our curious listeners out there eager to learn more about and get involved in international affairs and diplomacy across Asia, please visit the Young Lawyers and Diplomats Asia-Pacific on LinkedIn. We thank you for joining us today, and we look forward to joining us again for our next episode of Get Wise.